On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Let us pray together. Almighty God, who knows we are surrounded by great dangers, and in our human weakness we fail to stand for right. Support, strengthen, and protect us from all dangers and carry us through all temptations. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and rules with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. I don't know who needs to hear this. But love has laid something on my heart that I want to share with you before I get into the sermon today, and that is that Valentine's Day is 12 days away. This is the last chance I'm going to have to remind you of that, just in case someone needed to know about that. (laughs) Actually, today is Groundhog Day. And what would Groundhog Day be without a quote from our favorite weatherman, Phil Connors, (laughs) who captures what many of us feel as we look at the circumstances of our lives, as we enter into the storms of our experience. He says, you want a prediction about the weather? I'll give you a winter prediction. It's going to be cold, it's going to be gray, and it's going to last you for the rest of your life. (laughs) And many of us feel that way when we're in the midst of a storm, don't we? We feel that way, we're in the midst of some kind of trial or trouble. We feel that way as weather patterns in our lives begin to shift. A few weeks ago, we had storm weather warnings, and events were canceled, and some of you shared on Facebook things that you remembered from storms you experienced in recent history, and how the sound of rain still troubles you, and how the memory of seeing fences blown apart and trees knocked down and neighborhoods wrecked still haunt you. Storms can feel very real to us and bring trouble upon us. We all have weather apps that we search and we use, and we have weather apps that tell us very, very basic information that we could pick, pick up just by looking out the window. And then there are extreme weather apps that tell us worst case scenario. And depending on your personality type, you might prefer one to the other. 
The disciples in Jesus didn't have weather apps. They couldn't gauge the weather by looking at their AccuWeather or WeatherBug or checking CBS 11. They went out on a boat to cross a sea, not knowing what was going to happen. And so in the story we look at today, we see that Jesus and his disciples go across a lake as they had done many times, but something terrible happens in the middle of that journey, something that shakes the disciples to the core, and perhaps you can relate to them in some way. We're in a series on the Gospel of Mark, and we're looking at the question, who is Jesus? And what we're seeing in the Gospel of Mark is that Mark keeps highlighting for us that Jesus is the King. He's called a lot of things, but at the core, Jesus is the King. And the thing a story like this tells us about Jesus is Jesus is the King, but we also see two parts of Jesus, two sides of Jesus in one person. We see the humanity of Jesus and the deity of Jesus. And I'll try to highlight that for you as we make our way through the story. Interesting point Mark makes here as he, he's walking us through this. He says that the disciples took Jesus with them. And notice the phrase that he mentions, just as he was, just as he was. Very curious phrase. But if you look in the context of Mark's gospel, Jesus has been extremely busy moving from one place to another, visiting synagogues, performing miracles. He's been teaching crowds of people. He's been on the go, and he's reached a point where he is utterly exhausted. He is wiped out from all of the ministry and all of the people and all of the needs, and so they take him just as he is. He has just spent the whole day teaching and preaching and tending to people and visiting to them. And imagine the number of conversations as people ask questions and we're trying to get something from him. He's wiped out, used up, spent, and so he needs to take a break. And they're going to go away from it all for a little bit in this boat taking them across the Sea of Galilee. And then Mark tells us that a mega windstorm blew up. And I'm not making up the word mega. It's actually in the Greek. It's used three times in this story to highlight that this is a massive event. These are big things happening in the life of the disciples. A massive mega windstorm blew up from the mountains. Very common on this sea. And you might think, well, some of the disciples were fishermen, and they probably experienced things like this before, so no big deal. But if you weren't one of the four men who were fishermen, and let's say you were a tax collector, a number cruncher, let's say that you were a kind of political zealot, you didn't spend a lot of time on the sea. Let's say that you were someone who spent time out in fields or in or orchards cultivating things. If you're on the sea and something like this happens, it is going to be terrifying. While the fishermen know how to handle the rigging and the ropes and the sails and the oars and anchors, these other guys what are they? They're like baggage in the ship. They're cargo. I mean, they don't know what to do. And so they feel the terror of the storm breaking upon their lives, and they feel that they are going to be destroyed. And not only that, you see water is breaking over the sides of the boat so that it is on the verge of sinking. It's on the verge of sinking, and this is with a dozen men trying to bail water out of the boat. It's about to go under. Years ago, I was in a church that loved to sing this old hymn. 
Maybe some of you know it. And it's written to go along with the story, but I can't imagine the disciples singing this hymn the way we used to sing it in church back in the day. Master, the tempest is raging, right? Sounds very operatic. But I don't think these guys are thinking in opera terms. I mean, it is a drama, but they're feeling the fear of death descend upon them. The wind and the waves threaten to destroy them. Our life can often be scary like that. You don't have to be on a small fishing boat. You don't have to be in the middle of a mega windstorm out on a sea to experience the kind of fear that these disciples felt. You know as well as I do that windstorms come to us in a variety of shapes and sizes. Sometimes they come to us from the outside due to circumstances beyond our control, much like this experience. They have no control over the weather. They're simply on the boat passing to the other side of the lake and out of their control a storm blows up. They have to respond to it and react and try to find some way to, to survive that moment. There are other times in lives in our life when storms blow up and they blow up because of things we have done. So there's a tempest raging within us. We've made bad decisions. We've taken some actions that create a mess or cause a problem. And sometimes we experience a storm for that reason. But whatever the case may be, we're all used to experiencing storms of various sizes and shapes. These storms come to us in various ways. And sometimes they look like addictions. Addictions that plague us and we can't shake them or seem to get rid of them and they just keep wrecking us one day after another. Sometimes it feels like car trouble. You just need your car to crank and start so you can get from A to B and keep your job and now your car is giving you trouble. Sometimes it feels like a deployment where you have to uproot your life and your family and go to the other side of the world and fight for a cause and defend the people who may or may not be grateful for what you're doing. Sometimes it feels like the death of a loved one. It could be a child. It could be an aging relative. But death strikes us and we feel a storm brew up around us. Sometimes storms brew up in our marriages and we feel the strain in our marriages and the relationship we have with our spouse. And sometimes, to be honest, those storms are resolved only when they end in divorce. Very difficult for us. The storm might feel like foreclosure or a job loss. It might feel like extreme loneliness where you think you're the only one in this mess who can make it through and you don't think there's any hope. It feels like the suffering of a child or a terminal illness. Storms come to us for a variety of reasons. Storms also come to us, as mentioned in our confession, because of our own rebellion, because of our sin, our pursuit of sin, our fleeing from the presence of God. So these things come upon us for a variety of reasons. And whatever the reasons are, no matter the size of the storm, I think we can all agree that life is very scary, especially when it is stormy. We know what these storms can do to us. We know what it's like to frantically bail water and to do everything we can to make things better and to still see the boat filling up. We know what it's like to do everything we can and we're trying to make things right and we're still tossing our cookies. We're still dry heaving 
until our stomachs ache. We're gripping the ropes until our fingers bleed. We're clinging to flotation devices with white knuckles. We don't want to go under. We don't want to go down. We know what it's like to hold fast when the fury of the world is beating and battering our lives. And we know what it's like to hold on for dear life and still feel like we are losing our grip. This is how the disciples felt. Those who were experienced felt this. Those who were inexperienced felt this. Their boat is filling up with water. And then they look around, as we're often prone to do, we look around to see who else is doing what. We've got to compare and contrast. And what do they find? The boat is filling up with water because not everyone is pulling their weight. Not everyone is doing what they should be doing. Look at that guy over there asleep on a cushion. Doesn't he know we're about to die? And so they go to Jesus and they call on him. They call on him to help. But I want you to think about Jesus for just a moment here. Think of how exhausted he must have been to be asleep on a cushion in a boat that is filling up with water. This is a waterbed of sorts and it's leaking. But he's so tired he can't bring himself to wake up. We see the humanity of Jesus in this story as he has hit a wall and he so desperately needs rest that it doesn't matter to him that a storm is raging, that the boat is filling, that his disciples are terrified. He is asleep and resting. And then the disciples come to him with a question. And notice when you read this, when you hear the question, you know that there is more than a hint of rebuke in their question. Teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? It's a fancier way of saying, you don't care about us at all, do you? You only care about yourself, sleeping on your cushion, and we're over here working ourselves to death and still sinking. Now they say this out of their extreme desperation. They accuse Jesus of not caring about them. And you know they knew better than that. They had seen the way Jesus cared about so many people. There's no possible way they could have, in reality, believed that Jesus didn't care about them. But you know what it's like in those moments of desperation, don't you? When you're under pressure and things are bearing down upon you, you will say things that you don't really mean. You're just trying to express yourself. You're trying to get your point across. You're trying to get someone to act. You do this in your marriages You do it with your kids. Your kids do it with you. We do it to each other. We say things that we don't really mean, and we hurt each other in ways we shouldn't just because we're trying to get a response. We need someone to act. And here, these men are trying to get Jesus to respond to them. Don't you care about us? We've all done this same kind of thing in our prayers. We've all done the same kind of thing as we've looked at the muck and mess of life and the things that terrify us, and we wonder, where is God in all of this? Don't you care what's happening to us? Don't you see the condition of the world? Don't you see all this poverty and warfare and conflict? Don't you understand what's going and what what that's doing to us? And we cry out to God, wondering, where are you? Why don't you do something? What's happening to us? Are you asleep? Are you awake? Did you shrug? Have you looked away? And so we cry out to God, trying to get a response. There are echoes of the story of Job, even in the story of 
the stormy sea and the echoes of story of Job in your life and mine. You know the story of Job, don't you? Remember how he questioned God. And if you're reading the book of Job, he's questioning God for about 36 chapters of that long book. He wants to know all of the why and how long. And he's, he's shaking his fist to heaven, so to speak, challenging God to come and speak to him and let's have a conversation and let's sort this out. Job wants justice because he feels like he's suffering unjustly. And so he demands an explanation for the raging storms that have killed his children and strained his marriage and bankrupted his fortunes and ruined his friendships, and drove him to the ash heap where he is scraping his wounds. It's driven his friends to turn against him. And so, for 36 chapters, he's saying, Why me, O Lord? Why me? Why is this happening to me? Don't you care that I'm getting destroyed over here? And he thinks that understanding why is going to help him. And then you come to the turning point of that story when Yahweh speaks out of the windstorm. Out of a mega storm, the same word used in the story in Mark 4. God speaks out of the windstorm and he says to Job, fine, you want to have a conversation? You want to talk about all this? You want to know what's going on? All right, let's have a conversation. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you will answer me. Who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band, and prescribed limits for it, and set bars and doors, and said, Thus far you shall come and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? Who can number the clouds by wisdom or who can tilt the water skins of the heavens? And Job's response to that was to cover his mouth and to speak from his heart. I didn't really know what I was talking about. I, <laughs> I didn't really want to have this conversation. I don't know the answer to any, to any of these questions. And then God comes back with round two of the questions. But in the midst of God speaking to Job out of the windstorm, Job learns several things, and I'll highlight two. He learns two foundational truths. One is theological. He learns that God is sovereign over all things. And those of us who are Reformed and Presbyterian, we love to hear people talk about the sovereignty of God over all things. It gives us a weird sense of comfort up here in our heads. But we're in the, when we're in the midst of a storm, sometimes that truth actually rings hollow. Am I right? It actually rings hollow. It's just as true, but we're not feeling it. Because pastorally, it's not a good thing to say to someone in the middle of a storm. God's got this. You'll be okay. Jesus, take the wheel. The second truth that Job learned is actually, I think, the more important one, pastorally speaking. Pastorally speaking. And that is the personal and relational truth is that God is with me. God is for me. God is near me. 
It's just as true to say that as to say that God is sovereign over all things. When God answers Job out of the windstorm, he learns that God is nearby. He's not far away. He's with Job in the midst of the storm. And so God doesn't just say to Job, I'm in control. I'm in charge. Period. He says to Job, I care about you, man. I care about you, son. And that's a very important truth for us to hear in the story of Mark 4. If you've ever been in a storm that threatens to sink you, then you know, then you know that knowing that God cares for you is far more comforting than knowing that God is in control of the whole mess. We need to know both things. But we need to know that God cares for us. And this story in Mark 4 teaches us that. We might be tempted to ask in the midst of a storm, why is this happening to me? What have I done to deserve this? We might even be tempted to ask, who is controlling this storm? Fair question. But I want to suggest to you that it's better to ask, who cares about me in this moment? Who cares about me in the middle of this storm? Am I alone in this mess? Does Jesus Christ care about me right now? Does His church care about me right now? Am I alone here? Who cares about me? And Jesus stands up in the boat to say, I care about you. Let me show you how I care about you. And He cares about you by calming the storm and bringing about peace. When the disciples cried out to Jesus for help, what were they actually doing? They're not just saying, help us, we're lazy, we're tired of bailing water. No, they were saying, help us, this storm is way too much for us to handle. The storm on the outside is now seeped into the inside and our hearts are disturbed and troubled and we can't handle this. So they call out to Jesus expecting Him to do something. We confessed the same thing earlier in our service, didn't we? Do you remember when we echoed the psalmist who said, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the deep where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. What were we saying in that confession? We were saying in that confession that sometimes our sins seem to be greater than God's grace. And we know that's not true. And we want to be reminded that His grace is greater than all of our sins. We're crying out to God to say, life is too hard. It's, it, we can't handle all of this on our own. We need you to come lift us up out of these deep waters and put us in a safe place. And you see how Jesus responded to His disciples when they cried for help. He stood up and He said, Silence! Shut! And the wind was calm and the sea was like glass. He was not getting on to His disciples for waking Him up. He was not getting on to His disciples for crying out for help. He answered them by dealing with the immediate problem. 
He was commanding the storm to calm down and to chill out. He reminds them in this moment that he is with them and he is taking good care of them. And while they forgot it for a moment, he reminds them that he has never left them for a moment. Just as he did with Job. Just as he spoke out of the whirlwind in the life of Job and spoke out of the whirlwind in the life of his disciples in the boat on the sea, so he speaks to you out of the storms in your life. If you have ears to hear, you will hear. And when he speaks to you, he's not speaking to shame you. Be very careful how you read this passage where Jesus says, why were you afraid? Have you no faith? Be very careful how you read that. Don't read some sassy attitude into that story. That's not what Jesus was doing. He wasn't shaming his disciples because they didn't act by faith. He was assuring them that they have faith and he wants them to act on it. And when they do, things will feel and look different to them. But he wasn't shaming them or making them feel bad because they forgot to act by faith. I want you to know as you consider how Jesus cares for you in the midst of the storms of your life, that he is not disappointed with your fearfulness. He's not disappointed with you when you're fearful. He's not even upset with you if you forget about his power. And he's not angry with you if you fail to act by faith. That is not the kind of king he is. He's not so touchy and sensitive and thin-skinned that all of that bothers him. Instead, what he does is he demonstrates his care. Not to shame us, but to shelter us. Not to gripe at us, but to grab hold of us and draw us even closer. The prophets tell us the gospel of Jesus Christ in their own way in the Old Testament when they say, the Lord is slow to anger and great in power. His way is in the whirlwind and storm. He rebukes the sea. The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who take shelter in him. You can find that in Nahum 1 if you'd like to go back and reflect on that this week. Why are you so timid? Don't you have faith? Act on your faith. And you might not be so afraid, but you're still going to need help from the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice in the story that the disciples were afraid when the storm came. You saw that, right? You've all been there. You were afraid when the storm came. But as you read the story, you see that they became even more afraid after Jesus calmed the storm. You see, they were afraid of the wind and the sea. They were afraid of the waves and the water about to sink the boat. But when Jesus stood up and silenced and calmed everything and brought peace to the world, it actually brought conflict to their hearts. They were deeply disturbed. The Greek says that they feared with a mega fear. <laughs> they feared with a mega fear because they realized that Jesus was even more than they imagined him to be. They called him teacher, and he was their teacher. They had seen him perform miracles. He was a miracle worker. But now they're beginning to see that he's not simply a teacher. He's not simply a miracle worker. He is God. He is God. And so they asked the question, 
Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? A couple of weeks ago, I was downstairs in the basement, in the kitchen, I should say. I went down to grab a bite of lunch and have a cup of coffee. And while I was down there, kids from the Imagine Preschool were singing a song that answers this question. Very childlike way of answering, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Some of you kids know this, and if you do, feel free to sing along. I'm kidding. I'm not going to sing it. But they, they were singing, who's the king of the jungle? Who's the king of the sea? Who's the king of the universe? And who's the king of me? J-E-S-U-S. Yes, he's the king of me. He's the king of the universe, the jungle, and the sea. That's a song we all might need to learn for when the next storm hits us. We'll remember that the one who is obeyed by the wind and the sea is Jesus, the King. He is the Lord of heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. He's more powerful than windstorms and waves. He is God in the flesh, the King over all things. Last thing here, and we'll dock our boat on the other side of the lake. I want you to think that in this story, we see our stories. In this story, we see our stories. Think back over the last few months and what we have all experienced. Some of us on the other side of Lake Ray Hubbard, some of you on this side of Lake Ray Hubbard. The various storms that have blown up in our congregations, in our lives. Some of you experienced the storm that came when you lost beloved pastor, a man who had done such good and faithful work for this congregation and in your life and in your family. And he is truly missed, and rightly so. And some of you still feel the effects of that storm. Some of you felt the storm as you watched a congregation that you have loved so well and served for so long come to an end. Some of you witnessed beloved brothers and sisters shift from one congregation to a next. Not simply from the congregation that came from Mesquite, but also from here. In the storm, there was an upheaval and some people moved one way and some another. There's the storm as you feel a clash of cultures and different expectations and desires. You can feel a storm in your heart because not everything is suitable to you or meets your desire or expectation. You can feel that storm brewing. But here we are many months after all of these storms and all of these transitions, and we have been carried to the other side, and the Lord has granted us a season of peace and rest. Do you see that? a season of peace and rest. And now we have a chance to process and think through what the Lord has done to bring us through those stormy waters, to show himself faithful, to bring us to a good place and a safe harbor. He's brought us to a place where we can enjoy the peace and quiet of his grace. And Zach and I were talking about it this morning, and we agree with it. I mean, I agreed with what he said, and I want to convey it to you that one of the hardest things for us to do in our life, and perhaps what we'll have a hard time doing as a congregation now, is living in this time of peace and rest. 
Some of us who are more cynical will be waiting for the other shoe to drop or another zinger to come our way. Is this the calm before the next storm? Maybe it is. But let's pray it's not. But even if it is, at least now we know that our king is with us and he cares about us and he will rise and calm the storm in his due time. I hope you find comfort in knowing these truths about the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us take some time to pray together. Lord Jesus, you are the creator of all things, who spoke the heavens and the earth into existence, who spoke over the watery chaos and commanded light to scatter darkness. You are the Savior of the world who entered the storm of the cross, the darkness of God's judgment and the death of our sin. You are the King who makes all things new by the power of your resurrection. You calm storms and make wars cease to the ends of the earth. And before your throne of grace, the sea is calm as glass and clear as crystal. You are the shepherd who spreads a table before us in the presence of our enemies and gives us grace to eat and drink in our time of need. For all these things, we give you praise and thanks, for you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen.